So uh, let me pray. God, we do, uh, we do believe in the Holy Spirit, and we know that unless he, uh, unless he falls on us, fills us, is poured out on us, all the words that Scripture used, unless that happens, uh, we, are, uh, we are clueless and we are directionless. So we pray uh, that we'd be open to whatever your Holy Spirit says to us today and give us eyes to see and ears to hear because we want to be people who receive the Holy Spirit in the fullest way that you want us to receive. And we ask this on your name. Amen. So uh, there were three times this week, more, I mean, maybe more than three in most weeks, three times this week where I knew I needed the Holy Spirit. And I'm just, you know, the, the, the series in the Holy Spirit is kind of challenging us to think about what does it mean to, uh, that we, 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 live in, we live this faith out, but it's not like a mental believe the right doctrine. It's a supernatural reality. And there's three times this week where that really hit me. And first, there's three, I'll tell you all three. And first one was this. I, I went over to uh, the Wheeler Rescue Mission. It used to be called Backstreet. And Dana is the uh, guy who oversees it all, and he just wanted to meet. And we were talking, and some of the homeless guys were there. And I, he... And I just, we've, we kind of came to the conclusion is, what does the Holy Spirit want with the homeless population in Bloomington? To some degree, f- forget what City Hall wants. I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but that's not the question the church should be asking. The church should be asking, what does the Holy Spirit want us to do? And, you know, as these men were, they were getting ready to eat dinner at 5 o'clock, and I was still there, and I just thought, these guys are, they're, I'm not trying to be mean, they're broken and some of them just looked like they were a mess. And I thought, but these are people God cares for. And I just drove away thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, what, what is the church's role with this? Our role is not simply to mimic what the government wants to do. And our role is not just to, you know, hand them dollar bills and hope they don't spend it on something they shouldn't. But there's, those people matter to Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, and I, he, I said to him, I said, the question we all need to be asking is, okay, Holy Spirit, what is the role the churches should be playing on this? And it's not, again, it's not simply, and he even said, it's, he said, we, we could always use more money here, but it's not like if we had more money and more facility, all of a sudden the problem would change, but what's the challenge for the church? What's the Holy Spirit saying? That's the first thing. Second thing, um, I had lunch this week with a, a professor at IU who's Muslim, and I met him uh, at the mosque in Bloomington. We had a, a friend of mine organized a meeting. We just wanted to meet, some, talk to some of them about Islam. And, and uh, he's from Turkey. Um, he teaches e- econ at IU. A, we had a great lunch. We ate at a Turkish restaurant, of course, the one down on 4th Street. But as I'm talking to him, and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, I do believe that what you said, that you're the only way to know God. There's no other way to know you. And what's interesting, maybe you didn't know this, the Quran actually teaches that Jesus is going to come back at the end of time. And I knew this, but I didn't know. I said, now, what about Muhammad? Does he come back? Oh, no, Muhammad doesn't come back. And I was like, but Jesus does. And now they believe that Jesus didn't die on the cross. They believe there was a switch happening at the last minute, and he just went to heaven and never died because they believe that why would God kill a good man? But regardless, they believe Jesus is coming back. And I said, what's he coming back to do? He said, I think to unify the world. And I'm just like... That's bizarre. How did, how did God get his foot in the door when Muhammad is writing the Quran? But even then talking to him, I thought, okay, I, I do believe this man needs Jesus. But I don't think the answer was me to pull out a gospel tract and go through it with him. 
And I thought, okay, Spirit of Jesus, what, what, how do we interact with people that have grown up in a whole different lifestyle, a whole different faith, and I, but I believe you matter, Jesus. So, Jesus, what do, you, what do you want us to do in these situations? And I wasn't like tongue-tied. We had a great conversation, but I, the, the question is, okay, what, how do we interact with friends of yours, neighbors or coworkers that may be Muslim or Hindu or, you know, they, they have no confidence in Jesus. They don't, they, so what, what do we do with that? Because either with the homeless people and even with this guy, either, either Jesus, what he said is true and real, and, either, and, and the Holy Spirit is powerful and real today, or it's not. Either, he, either he, Jesus is who he says he is, the Holy Spirit is who Jesus says he is, or he's not. And if he is, then there's ways to engage in those things, or there's ways that God may want us to engage those things in power, powerful ways. All right. The third situation, which was probably the harder one, is my... My younger son, David, um, his, he has a really good friend, high, high school friend. They've been friends for years, played high school football together. This friend of his, his girlfriend, died in an automobile accident this week. It, it's not, it hasn't even been in the papers or anything, but it happened in Bloomington. She was in an accident. She was brain dead for a while. And this uh, kid, his girlfriend, his boyfriend came over to our house. And we talked. He had to spend the night at our house one time. And I said, okay. And I don't know that there's a strong faith in any of people's involved, right? And I think, okay, hey, Holy Spirit, what, what do you have to say? To, what, what, what do we say in this situation? And, and with all this situation, it just kind of, it broke my heart. Like, okay, Holy Spirit, if, if, if these are the people that Jesus came to save, what are we supposed to be doing? And what do we say? I'm not, I'm not saying we don't know, but we have knowledge. I think we have knowledge. I think we lack power. And I mean supernatural, I don't mean like power, like doing magic tricks, but I mean power that, that fuels even courage and love and things like that. And I, and, and I think in those situations, I interacted in, in a way that I really enjoyed. And Kath and I interacted with this young man whose girlfriend died. And I think we did really, I mean, just loving him. And, but at the same time, I, I'm thinking, okay, the Holy Spirit that we understand in the Bible is like there's, there's power there. And again, I'm not even saying power to raise the girl from the dead. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm just saying there's power in situations that God not only gives us the right words to say. I'm not doing this because that's my, your cognitive world. It's not just the right words to say. It's the right spirit to say it in. And, and then it's a spirit that comes from the Holy Spirit, spirit of power. Spirit of, you know, uh, that comes from God. I mean, I can have a spirit about myself that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about what, how do I live my life with the spirit of Jesus fueling everything I do, say, and think. And I'm not there yet, and I'm guessing most of you would say you're not there yet. I can't speak for all of you. But I, but. So we've been doing this series called Honor the Holy Spirit, because I've said before that when uh, somebody told me this a couple years ago, I thought it was true, when things get difficult for the church, or just difficult in life, these are the only two things that matter. How do we learn to honor the Holy Spirit? How do we pray like Jesus? Both of these speaks to the supernatural reality of Christianity. Because when things get hard, that's what we have to, we have to go back to the basic of, okay, we believe there's a supernatural reality um, in this thing we call Christianity. And it's uh, whatever, whether you use organs or guitars to sing with or whether you use wine or grape juice or what kind of chairs you sit in or what, kind of, what color the carpet is, really is meaningless 
as a, far, as a follower of Christ. Learning how to live in the supernatural reality of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of Jesus should be what drives us. So we're talking about honoring the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, we did, I, I, we did uh, simply the phrase of, of Jesus when he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So we talked about that. And so all these weeks, we're going to do different words or verbs that are used in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. So two weeks ago, we received the Holy Spirit. In the future, there's situations where people resist the Holy Spirit. There's people in the book of Acts who lied to the Holy Spirit. There's people that were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about what do those things look like just in day-to-day reality like we live? You know, what does that mean? How do, we, how, how do we resist the Holy Spirit? And how do we become aware of that and then repent? But how do we be filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit? But today's word is uh, pour out. Do I have that on, the, on a slide, John? I can't remember. Oh, it's in black. Okay, that wasn't really smart of me. Well, go to the next slide then. How about the next one? It's in, you know what? There's none of it that shows up. It must have not translated right in how I saved my PowerPoint. There's none where it shows up to say pour out. Just take, this, take it off the screen then. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go Pentecost. They had no PowerPoint, so we're going to go Pentecost today, all right? All right. Um, but the idea of the Spirit being poured out, and what does it mean the Spirit's poured out on us? And how does that use in the Bible? Everything we talk about will always be, how does it, what does this mean? How do we, what do we learn from the Bible about this? So in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start with this, when, when, uh, when Peter, after this supernatural phenomenon was happening in the upper room, when they have these flames of like tongues of fire over their heads, and they started speaking in different languages, Peter had this chance to give this sermon in front of a spontaneous crowd of thousands. And he actually used, he said this, he, he quoted from the Old Testament book of Joel. He said, what's happening is this, that Joel prophesied. And he said this exact phrase, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, this is what's happening. I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh, all people, depending on what Bible you have. But I will pour out my spirit on all people. All right, say that with me. I will pour out my spirit on all people. One more time. I will pour out my spirit on all people. So this sense of, of God pouring out, and I just wanted to, So I have all these different sizes of cups up here. And so when God says this, he's, he, and we'll talk about this with some other things, it's clear that there's different... It's not just men, it's not just women, but the Bible says even on children, sons and daughters, I'm going to pour out. So I have all these different size cups, but it's like, it's, God's meant to be poured out. I mean, it's like, you know, when you go to the restaurant, they pour out your, they pour your coffee for you, hopefully. When they fill your water glass, they pour water into it, hopefully. But we all want full glasses, right? Now, this one I put rocks in just to illustrate, God's not going to pour anything in there. And that's what I talked about a few weeks ago. If there's things in your life that need to go, why would God waste water pulling in a glass that's just going to be muddy? So I'm saying never forget the fact that maybe God's not pouring out. It's, it's, not a, it's not a factor of God's lack of generosity. He's generously waiting to pour wherever he can pour. But it's his, it's his lack. In wisdom, why would he pour water into this? Why would he pour into that? So if there's stuff in your life that, that are blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit, that's not, don't question God's generosity. 
We, we tend to do that. I tend to do that. Well, God's, God's holding back. That was kind of like, that was the original lie of Satan in the garden to Eve. Well, God's holding out on you, but he's not. If there's any, if there's any issue, you have to at least first examine, is there anything in my life blocking the, that? So this, this phrase, I, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Let me just kind of trace it through the Bible, just kind of see, show you how that shows up. through. So in the book of Ezekiel, which would have been 800 years before Pentecost, you know, God had been judging the people of Israel and Judah. They'd been in exile. They'd been all kinds of issues going on. But then God says this in Ezekiel chapter 39, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel. Because it had been a hard time for the people of Israel. They'd gone through periods of God's judgment against them. But God said, I'm not going to hide my face anymore. I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. So here we see that the pouring out of God's spirit is also a sense of God revealing himself to us. All right. In Joel chapter 2, so Ezekiel was 800 years before Pentecost. Joel, the prophet Joel was about 600 years. And he actually said what Peter quoted at Pentecost was this, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then Joel continued with this, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. All right? That's why I have different sizes of cups and stuff, because it's not just on white male prophets kind of thing. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit who, who will welcome the Holy Spirit. Men, women, children, the Bible says on your sons and on your daughters, everybody has access to the Holy Spirit. Everybody. All right? So that was in Joel chapter 2. So Ezekiel talks about pouring out a spirit. Uh, Joel talks about God pouring out a spirit. Then Peter, of course, in Acts, quotes from Joel. And he says, this is what's happening. It's when God said, I will pour out my spirit on, on all people. And then he continues the part from Joel where he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So not only does God's pouring out a spirit of revelation of himself, I'm going to stop hiding my face, but now it looks like when he pours out his spirit, certain things happen among his people. I mean, prophecy, visions, dreams, right? Then just later in the same sermon, Peter says this. He says, as the Father, and the Father as he has promised, gave Jesus the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see in here today. Now, what I want you to notice from that is, he said, Jesus poured out his spirit on us just as you can see in here. Well, what were they seeing and hearing that let them know the Holy Spirit was there? Well, there was this supernatural, they were speaking different languages, they were, they were speaking even in their own language, proclaiming the goodness of God. So when the Spirit is poured out, there's some kind of observable response. All right? So that was in Acts 2. Now in Acts 10, uh, Peter ended up going to Cornelius's house. Long story short, Cornelius was, Cornelius was a Jew. Or I'm sorry, he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And according to the, the Jews, if you were a good Jew, God's not here for the Gentiles. But yet, Cornelius has a dream. Peter has a vision. All right, we're already seeing the dreams and visions parts of that. And Peter ends up going to Cornelius' house. They all believe. They all says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they had some supernatural expressions. Cornelius did, and his house. And this is what Peter said, the Bible tells us. The Jewish believers were now amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. 
because they thought, well, the pouring out is God's Spirit only going to go to the Jewish people, us good people. But now it says, no, now he's poured out upon the Gentiles too. So you see this broadening generosity of God. Two other passages, Romans 5, Paul writes this, God's love, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So another repercussion of pouring out is God's love is in our heart. And how we love people will drastically change if the love of God is in our heart. But Paul says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have access to the unconditional, powerful, life-changing love of God, not just in us, but in us to love others, all right? Last one, in Titus, it's written this, he, he, God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, all right? So he poured out his Spirit, his rebirth and renewal, love in our hearts from God, God's going to stop hiding his face from us. But also that when the Spirit is poured out, God, the, the clear connection from, from Acts chapter 2 was when he pours out his Spirit, then some things start happening that are supernatural. Your sons and daughters prophesy. Your young men have visions. Your old men dream dreams. I mean, it's like this is where the weird meter starts to kind of jump down to up to 10, Right? Now, just so Acts chapter 2, this is what I'm just going to repeat what Peter said. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Okay, what does that mean? Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I'm going to stick on this word prophesy. All right? Your young men will prophesy, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Everybody here is either a son or a daughter, right? We all are. But the, the point that Jesus, I think that Peter is saying when he's quoting from Joel and kind of referencing the whole sense of being poured out is that uh, being able to prophesy is something everybody has the opportunity to do because of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about that word prophesy. I'm going to focus on, so we're talking about pouring out and one of the ramifications of being prophecy. Most of you, like me, your first reaction is, well, prophecy sounds like I'm trying to predict the future and say what's going to happen in the end times and who's going to, you know, who's going to win the World Series. I'm going to say what's going to happen to the stock market. And, but we tend to go to kind of the, those radical things. According to the, when you look at the Bible, uh, when some, to prophesy simply means this, human words reporting something that Jesus brings to mind. So Matt Jackson can prophesy if he's feeling a prompting or a sense that he's supposed to say something to someone in a certain situation that he really feels like is Jesus prompting him to say that. In, in the book of Revelation, we're told the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. All right, The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, which basically means prophecy is driven by the things Jesus says and hears and wants to be said. So in the, in, it, I'm, I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to bring the word, idea of prophecy just to kind of normality. I mean, it's, it's supernatural, but it's normal to be in the church. It's not like one of these, it's not these weird people. We have to go wear sackcloth and ashes and 
um, eat weird foods or whatever because we're a prophet. Now, we're, we're not prophets. We have the ability to prophesy. So prophecy, I'll say it again, is human words reporting something that Jesus brings to mind. All right? Now, and this, this has always kind of haunted me too. So in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about this is what orderly worship for the church should look like. And he talks about people prophesying in church, and, and we tend to write it off. Yeah, we don't know, and we're just going to skip over that part. You know, we, we kind of skip over the church I grew up in. You kind of skip over the parts where there's supernatural things happening because we don't know what to do with it. It hasn't happened to us. Therefore, we're just going to kind of read a sentence, and we might read the word, but we've, in our minds we've kind of skipped over prophecy or visions or dreams because we're not sure what to do with that, so we'll just kind of... Because we want to make sure we have control over our spirituality and uh, we can think about this and we're smart people and we don't need to be given into emotionalism. Because it tends to, be, tends to be people think that's just emotionalism. But yet, Paul talks about this. He says, when you gather, there's, there are three, there, he said, prophecy is something that someone speaks in the gathering to either strengthen, encourage, or comfort others. All right? Strengthen, encourage, or comfort. Say those three, three words. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. That's the purpose of prophecy that comes into people's lives when the Spirit's been poured out. That you say things in situations that are to strengthen, encourage, or comfort others. And this is, Paul's talking about the gathering. All right? The environment I grew up in, the idea of being of, to speak prophecy in a gathering was pretty much relegated to the preacher. Well, he's the one who's doing all the speaking. But then Paul in this same passage in 1 Corinthians 14 says, all of you can prophesy. All of you. He doesn't say, leave it to the preacher. All of you. All of you can speak human words reporting something that Jesus brings to mind for the well-being and the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting those in the body. And then he says, okay, when you gather... Two or three people should stand up and prophesy at the most. No more than two or three. They should be orderly, and they should, stand, they should speak words that Jesus has brought to mind for them to speak for the encouragement and the comfort and the strengthening of the body. So the Spirit's poured out. I mean, God pours out generously. The whole purpose of pouring out isn't just that we're full. The purpose of pulling, pouring out, some of the passages, like I said, was the love of God's poured into us. God reveals himself to us. But in the New Testament, if you read it, when the Spirit is poured out, there's a supernatural element that starts to happen. Not weird, not goofy, not stupid, not wild, not wacky, but just the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do a little lab here in a second, because I'm going to, we're going to just have some time where two or three, if you feel like the Spirit of Jesus has brought words to mind that you're supposed to speak, and typically, just to start, so we start uh, kind of in a, in a safe way, although the Holy Spirit's never safe, but you know what I mean. If there's a scripture passage you feel like God brings to mind, we're going to, I want you to, I'm going to ask, ask you to stand up and just speak it, and if you need to add a few things about it, because who's to say there might not be somebody here that needs to hear it, all right? So when the Spirit's poured out, 
the primary message of Pentecost was when that happens, people prophesy. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to change your voice. I think the Lord says, don't change your voice. Don't, uh, don't try to speak in King James English, whatever. It's, and, and sometimes you might prophesy simply, and I might be having lunch with Ryan Edwards, and, I just, and Ryan might say, you know, I thought God wants me to tell you something. Okay, that's prophecy over tacos or whatever, all right? So we don't have to make it this, you know, twilight zone kind of reality. But Paul does talk about that it happens in the public gathering in an orderly way, but it's spontaneous because the Holy Spirit's behind it. I mean, I, don't, I like preaching, I like teaching, but the Bible's clear that it's such, I'm not the only one that's supposed to be speaking words, uh, reporting that Jesus brings to mind. It's all of us, all right? So... Uh, John, go ahead and start that one song. Just, it's just some more background, some background music. Um, it's, not, it's not meant to be like emotionally stirring, but it's another song of Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. And uh, let's just do it this way. I want you to close your eyes. But if, uh, I'm going to keep my eyes open, <laughs> and only because of this. If you feel like the Holy Spirit puts words in your mind or prompts you, reminds you of something that Jesus is bringing to mind for you to say. It may, like right now, maybe it's just focus on if it's a Bible verse, all right? So uh, it may not be, it may not be a, uh, I'm not just asking you to kind of think of something. I'm asking you to kind of see if the Holy Spirit puts anything, Holy Spirit prompts you, nudges something in you. And this is part of the learning too. What does that mean? All right, so... Um, I'm going to keep my eyes open. If, if you feel like God's put something on your heart, just look up at me and raise, wave at me, and I'll have you stand up, and we'll let you prophesy. All right? Maybe turn the song down a little bit there, John. Holy Spirit, speak to us. It's okay to take a risk if you're not sure. Music down a little bit more, John. Just dial it down a little bit more. Paul, yeah. forever, but I kind of want us to have the opportunity just to kind of lab time, the laboratory. Okay, now, Paul, turn the music down all the way. Just turn it all the way. We'll have just another minute of quiet. If you have something look up me and wave at me, but if not, we're okay with that. Bible verse comes to mind. Anything. Judy Downey, stand up. Speak loudly. 
Say that one more time. I like that. Say it again. One more minute. Oh, um, Katie, loudly, Katie Edwards. Work out your own salvation. I think it's Philippians, I think. Say it again. One more time. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Christ, it is God who is working in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Anybody else? Let's go a few more. Bill Downey, loud. Okay, um, just look, go ahead and look up here. So it, what's, what's interesting, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, about the being a prophecy, he says two or three, and if one is speaking and another one has a prompting, tell that person to sit down and let this person go. So it's kind of this interesting dynamic, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that's how all churches should do it, because most churches don't. I mean, we haven't. But I think for the next few weeks, we're going to have a time at, at the end I'm just asking, does anybody have, any, anybody have a word of prophecy? And again, I don't mean like, you know, tell us who's going to win the next election, because right now, frankly, none of us want to know that, right? We don't want to know. But if you have a word that Jesus is bringing to mind that you're supposed to speak to the body, we're going we're gonna to practice that probably for the next, maybe the next month or so. And what's, what's interesting, and we'll close with this, and we'll go into communion. What's interesting in the book of... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about this, and this is what intrigues me the most, because he said, if, when that happens among you, if there's a non-believer in your midst, and they're going to sense something is happening with the Holy Spirit, their response, Paul says, is going to be, God must be with you people. So it, it's interesting, because evangelism then becomes not do you have the right outline so you can tell people the gospel message? Evangelism becomes a function of the power of the Holy Spirit, where somebody who is in, in the gathering just has a sense that God is doing something, and if God's here, I want to be here. All right? So that always intrigues me in, in 1 Corinthians 14, that it says if an unbeliever is there, and, and this these prophecy is happening in the way that's driven by the Holy Spirit, a non-believer is going to be like, they're going to actually says the non-believer will be exposed by God 
they'll be convicted of their sin, but they'll, they'll, they will exclaim, God must be among you people. And I thought, this isn't, ultimately, shouldn't that be what happens when we gather is we want God to be among us. Whether we do the prophecy lab experiment or not, if God's not among us on Sunday morning, then we're kind of wasting our time. I, I believe he is, but it seems like there's, with the Holy Spirit, it seems like there's ways in which that's expressed that we typically don't because we want to control things, right? So, um, yeah. Well, any Pentecostal African-American worship, they tend to, and what we tend to do is we tend to write it off because it seems emotional. But uh, the Holy Spirit might stir your emotions, but the Holy Spirit's not just our emotions. So we tend to, uh, we tend to kind of stifle things. So if nothing else, let this be a way that we, because you, you might hear God speak throughout the week to you. And if there's something you feel like, I'm supposed to, I, need, I need to share that in church on Sunday, we'll do it. Because I'm the pastor, but I'm not the Holy Spirit. He says, he, all of us, if he pours out, it's on all of us, all right? So, John, come on up, and we're going to take communion now. And uh, is, is the, can you put the, at least the red slide up there? Yes, there's no black in this one. Thank you. All right. So this is, uh, read this with me out loud, all right? This is Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night he was last supper. All right, here we go. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out. Those four words again, it is poured out. One more time, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. All right, God, God is always pouring out. He's always pouring out. He wants to pour out. He won't pour out into the, in a cup of rocks, but he wants to pour out, even to the point where Jesus poured out his blood for us. So when we take communion, it's actually, it's, it's an act of gratitude because of God's generously pouring out but specifically his generous pouring out in the blood of Jesus, all right? So, uh, Jesus, we're grateful that you, we're grateful, Jesus, that you allowed your blood to be poured out for us. And that becomes this symbol of not only redemption and rebirth, but it's a sign of just the incredible generosity you have toward us, Jesus. You're generous beyond our understanding. So we take this bread and this cup into our bodies as a way to remind us of your, yes, of your sacrifice and yes, of your redemption, but also of your incredible generosity that you pour yourselves out, pour yourself out, not only at the cross, but now that you're always pouring out the Holy Spirit to us. And uh, may our capacity enlarge so we can have more and more of what you pour out into our lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.